Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to you and welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests, all in one hour. It is Wednesday, the 4th of November. I'm Nadine Blaney. I should say the caveat to this program is that it is also U.S. Election Day. You know that if you're watching the live stream, of course. I know a lot of people listen to this in podcast form or catch up with it at a later date. So just keep in mind, if we do reference the U.S. election, uh, this is just past 12 noon here in Sydney on that election day as we're watching some of those polls coming through. Two expert guests on today's hour here with us for the entire 60 minutes. Andrew Page from strawman.com here in studio with me at Brangaroo. And via Skype, we have Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Scott, welcome. Good to have you both with us. Look, without trying to call this election, Scott, I'll start with you. <laughs> Does it make any difference if it's President Trump or President Biden to the way you are investing? Nadine, I figure we'll, uh, we'll record two versions of the show, of course, and we'll just <laughs> podcast the one that we, where we get the predictions right. Look, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter much at all, quite frankly. In the, in the medium term, even the short term, we'll see some volatility. Of course, we will, particularly if there's uncertainty. And right now, as we go to air, Florida looking super, super close. So speaking of uncertainty, we're starting with one of the biggest swing states potentially going to Biden, but maybe not. And of course, there's potential recounts and everything else going on. It will be volatile in the short term. Now, if you're an investor with cash on the sidelines, you're a long-term investor, the next few days might throw up an opportunity to buy a couple of things you've liked for a while at a price a little bit cheaper than they are trading now, or it may not. If it did, I'd happily take advantage of the volatility. But no, it doesn't change how I invest, what I buy um, at all, really. And also, frankly, over time, remember the early Obama years where solar was supposed to be the big winner and almost every major solar company went broke or was taken over as you know in the, in the following couple of years? Not because of Obama. It was more just then some people kind of putting two and two together a little bit clumsily and saying, well, Obama must mean renewables, must mean solar, therefore I buy solar, I get rich. And it didn't work out that way. Yeah. So be very, very, very careful trying to chase those trends. And after Trump's uh, victory in 2016, it was infrastructure stocks. And of course, there wasn't that $12 billion infrastructure spend or whatever was being called for at the time. So, Andrew, if we see a Biden presidency or a Trump presidency, considering the liquidity that's still being pumped in by central banks, again, is it still a bullish scenario for equities from today onwards? I, look, I'm going to go with exactly with what Scott said there as well. None of these things are really going to make any difference. I'm investing over a multi-year period. Yes, these things are important, but you know, when you, when you take a more of a bottom-up approach, you're really looking for businesses that are going to perform well in all kinds of scenarios. And yes, there'll be some scenarios which are more favorable than others, but if you're looking to invest in a business purely because it might perform better under a certain set of unique circumstances that are in, in, you know, diabolically difficult to predict, that's, that's a pretty tough game to play, so I don't play it. Okay, all right. Let's get on with the program then, shall we? We'll be, we will keep you updated if there's any you know, breaking news coming on the U.S. election front, of course. 
Uh, this one is an interesting stock of the day because, of course, it has a lot of U.S. exposure. Pushpay is the stock of the day today, lifting its full-year earnings guidance on snowballing popularity and COVID-inspired growth. It's an Australian-listed donations app that is favored by U.S. churches in particular. And uh, the company, along with that update, uh, added that it's considering acquisitions to build scale. It's also talking about a uh, four-for-one share split to help liquidity. Full-year underlying earnings are now expected to be between U.S. $54 million and $58 million. Now, the surge in online payments and the takeover of a U.S. church software business have really been significant earnings boosters, leaving that company able to pursue those acquisitions ahead of that four-for-one share split. So, uh, Scott Phillips, I'll start with you. What, what do you make of that update coming from PushPay? Because if you get into some of the detail, you'll note that there was no customer growth in the past yeah. six months. What do you put that down to? Sounds odd. And I think that's that's where we see the share price off about 15% today. Now, I should say, a little birdie tells me Andrew actually owns this stock and probably knows a bit more about it than I do. So I'll happily mm -hmm. let him uh, add Add more expert commentary to what I've got to say. I, I have been wary of Pushpay for a little while on exactly that basis. They've been really, really successful. They've nailed the mega church market in, in the US. They, they are to some degree a victim of their own success, not able to add more customers. They've decided to go down market, smaller, medium customers now, trying to find a way to get growth. And I've avoided buying just because I wasn't sure how well that strategy would work. Now, at the moment, that seems, at least in the short term, to have been the right approach. Who knows what happens over the long term? The numbers they reported today look spectacularly good because they're all year on year numbers. And they are, as you say, struggling to get growth on the last six month period, but still growing strongly over the last year. Now, that said, the financials are phenomenally good. Cash flow is up strongly. Customer growth, so revenue growth is up strongly. Really, really good set of results. The future is the open question. I'm a little bit skeptical. They also lost, oh, they had a director resign from the founding family who now apparently are now free to sell shares being off the board, not having to report the same degree of uh, share sale or being bound by the same degree of uh, compliance that uh, you know, block out periods, that kind of stuff where you can't trade shares. So the market is concerned. I share that concern. It may well be in the fullness of time, by the way, this is a great time to buy. We may look back at a $15 share price at some point in the next future and say, wow, it wouldn't have been great to buy when the market freaked out um, on election day 2020. I, I, I will remain on the sidelines. I want to see that customer growth, as you mentioned, Nadine. Um, that is where the long-term growth needs to keep coming. That small, medium church growth strategy yet to bear fruit, at least based on the numbers we're seeing. Yeah, so this might not be, Andrew, an election day victim. This could be a victim of the actual hardcore numbers because we've got the Hullich family stepping down off the board. No customer growth. So is that a red flag to you if you're a holder? Yeah, look, it's definitely a concern. The other, the other concern is that the sales cycle seems to be lengthening a little bit. COVID's really impacting some decisions there from customers. But I think, I mean, we've got to put this in context. The share price hasn't performed well today, but as we just saw, it's been such a phenomenal performer long-term. And it's always been a pretty volatile, like virtually every stock has been a very volatile mm -hmm. performer. So one swallow does not a summer, mate. I would, I would zoom out from this and say that these guys are definitely the market leaders in a very, very large and very profitable market. They've got a long runway for growth. They've got um, economics that are just, you know, make a lot of the tech giants blush, really. These, these guys just have phenomenal retention, great increase in average revenue per customer, um, big cross-sell opportunities. Um, I think management are outstanding. 
Um, and, and, and yeah, disclosure, this is my second largest holding, okay? <laughs> it ranks number two on Strawman. It's delivered like an 80% return for us there. So there is, there is a certain endowment effect to all of that. That was then and this is now. And the other the thing you need to look at is as attractive as the business is and its potential longer term, you are looking at a business that is, is on 10 times sales. And we, we have this quite a lot actually in the current market where you've got these really wonderful businesses, but the price is so high. Yeah. But then at the same time, you sort of have to weigh that up against an in, a zero interest rate environment and a business that whose net profit doubled and its top line is growing at 50% per annum. So it makes for a very difficult situation. So for me, it's a, it's a hold. I'm very happy to hold this with a five to 10 year view. I think that they've got a long way to run. And I think, uh, I think, I think so far, the track record speaks for itself and I'm, I'm prepared to back them still. Okay, well, that's good. That makes the market a hold coming through from Andrew and uh, not really coming through from Scott Phillips. Okay, so that is the stock of the day, Push Pay. We'll revisit that a little bit later on. Let's get to the companies that you have all emailed in about. And this first one is Harvey Norman sent in from Tim. I thought it was interesting, Jen. So we saw Jerry Harvey commenting on the RBA in some of the financial pages yesterday, saying that it uh, perhaps didn't need to do that uh, massive quantitative easing program. Uh, but you can't get away from the fact that Harvey Norman has been a beneficiary from COVID, from this uh, shift from spending on services to the home, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, and geez, Jerry likes to um, likes to make comment on a whole range of different sure things, does. doesn't he? And I think Scott probably knows my view on that, so I won't I won't dig into it too much. Um, but yeah, look, so, so yes, it, it has been an incredible year for Harvey Norman. We saw shares drop fifty percent from January through to March, and then it's pretty much recovered all of that ground. You can in fact see it on the screen at the moment. Um, but even longer term, I mean, this is a company that's doubled their per share earnings since 2011. Their d dividends more than doubling in that time. To be fair, the past few years, it, things have gone um, sideways. Um, uh, I think with the business is, is also expanding overseas. A very significant proportion of their profits come from there. They're opening up a whole bunch of new stores. So, you know, again, I, I like to take a broader view and more context on these things rather than, you know, a lot of people buying office equipment and laptops in a, in a specific period. Um, the one thing I sort of worry about with these guys is how if they will, re if their expertise in, in brick and mortar retail is going to um, serve them uh, as well in the future as it has in the past in an increasingly online environment. I think that's a, a little bit of a question mark. Um, but look, the overseas expansion is going well. The revenue there is up about 42% in the past four years. They've got a lot of asset backing for these shares. So, you know, I think on a, on a per share basis, there's $2.40 just in property alone mm -hmm. there, which is a nice little backing. And in, in a market where, where valuations, people often remark, are, are, seem quite stretched, you're looking at a yield of 5.5% and, and a PE of 10, which seems pretty cheap mm -hmm. as well. So it's not my bag, it's not my cup of tea. I don't, I don't like retailers, particularly brick and mortar retailers, but I could, I could see why people were attracted to this. There is a long-term um, good track record there. There's very competent people. But would you helm. buy it no, now? No, I would not buy it now. So it's not a buy? Yeah, I think look, I just, I, I would just preface this and it, like a lot of other companies will mm -hmm. talk about today. I think your job as an investor is to say no more often than yes. You need to be extremely fussy. So the, the comment for me, it's not no because it's a rubbish company. Mm -hmm. I just think if I'm going to 
put all my money into 15, 20 stocks. There's better 15, 20 stocks out there for my money. Okay, so over to you, Scott Phillips. Uh, we have had a history at Harvey Norman of these ancillary investments being made by the company <laughs> on behalf of shareholders. You know, dairy comes to mind. But we're starting to see a reduction in exposure to that. So if you take that and then you put the property with it, does it become more of an attractive investment for new investors? Senator, let, let me start by just being a little bit a little bit clear, like Andrew was saying, but from our perspective, um, I have four more recommendations of the Motley Fool services I run. So, you know, if I say something's a buy and it's not a buy one of our services, our members get confused or wonder what's going on. So again, like Andrew, there are limited companies I, I think are absolutely official buys. So let me just put that out there quickly. I am more of a fan of, of Jerry than Andrew is, largely on the, on the kind of the back of the iconoclastic, yes, he has his drawbacks, yes, he's got his critics, and some of those critics are probably fair enough too. Um, but he's built over 40, well, man, almost 50 years now, um, an electronics, furnishings, homewares, superstore category killer, literally one of the very first category killers in the world, probably, if not certainly in Australia. Um, so you kind of write him off at your peril. Jerry has done a, a really good job of building this business. Now, if you, again, to use that example Andrew talked about, about the book value, having almost trading about one and a half times book value, give or take, JB Hi-Fi at five times book value. Now, you don't want to measure a retail adjust on that, but let's just keep that comparison in, in, in one side for a second. Let's go to price to earnings. JB Hi-Fi at 20 odd times, I think from memory last time I saw, um, just checking now 17 times, there you go, come down a little bit. Harvey Norman at 11.2 times, or on Andrew's numbers, 10 times. And you think to yourself, is Harvey Norman that much worse a business than JB Hi-Fi? And if, if it is, with back, asset backing that almost, you know, takes up the vast bulk of the current share price, what, 50% of the share price is in, is in assets alone. If you strip that out and look at the enterprise value or just, you know, you value the operating business separately from the assets, Harvey Norman is cheap on a dozen different metrics. And I've got to say, if you like retail at all, if you like JB Hi-Fi at all, if you like some of those other retailers, yes, they may even grow faster than Harvey Norman, but you're paying peanuts considering, as Andrew's already said, where the market's at. You mentioned today where rates are at. Um, 12 times earnings for a successful, profitable, you know, retailer with a fantastic brand name, great business, great store footprint, all that kind of stuff. I think you are a long way better than, a long way, sorry, further to find a better value proposition than Harvey Norman, just on a, on a risk reward basis. So I'm gonna say, I think it's a market beta. So let me put it down as a buy. It's not an official buy recommendation of ours. So again, just to make that clear distinction, yep. but I'll take the opposite side of, of Andrew's case. And I'll say, for me, I think it beats the market from here and that makes it a buy. Okay, cool. All right, that's Harvey Norman, HVN. And yeah, Jerry Harvey coming out yesterday saying that the Reserve Bank perhaps didn't need to stoke the economy to the extent that it did because you know, it's showing signs of a pickup. We had retail sales data out today that perhaps is a bit disappointing. However, we'll leave that there. Plenty of companies to get through. Uh, the next one on the list is Asalio, Asalio Care, which was sent to us by Josh. Hope you're watching or listening, Josh. Uh, okay, upgraded to the upper end of its guidance recently, 84 to 87 million range. It's increased market share through the pandemic, invested in its brand, local manufacturing as well. Looking at you, but I'll ask it from Scott. I mean, that all sounds really nice, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And yet I wouldn't go near it, the need. <laughs> uh, look, Asalio has done really well for itself and full credit to it. Now, hard not to do well if you're in personal care during a pandemic. You're not trying if you can't get some improvement. Uh, and, and, you know, it should have been good for its business and good luck to it. It's in the right place at the right time and it gets the benefit. Um, this is a commodity business. If you're making paper products and, you know, toilet paper and tissues and stuff, I, you know, yes, you get a fantastic boost when things go well. A, by the way, when that when that stockpiling un unrolls, to excuse the pun, uh, mm -hmm. we will see you know sales fall. They must fall. They they pumped out you know these products at an absolute rate of knots for months, year on year. That's going to look pretty ugly next year. 
even that notwithstanding, when was the last time you paid a premium for toilet paper or tissues? Yeah, you might know the Kleenex brand. Yeah, you might know the Quilton brand or Sorbonne or something. But when one's on special, you go and buy the one on special. This is a commodity industry with really little amounts of pricing power. Um, again, operationally doing everything right, doing everything it can to be successful. And those numbers you mentioned are absolutely spot on. So credit to the management team for doing the best they can with a really tough business. But we know, as Warren Buffett said, uh, when you got management with a reputation for brilliance and an industry with a reputation for poor economics, it's the industry's reputation that remains intact. I expect that'll be the case with a Salio. It's a sell from me. Yeah, well, that's quite clear. And that's exactly how I do shop. I <laughs> shop for what's on sale. Um, so Acelio Care, uh, some catalysts going forward. I mean, we've got a resumption of dividends at the end of 2020. Had a margins look. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, even the terrible business will have its moments, you know. But again, as an investor, you should be buying a business for attractive economics and long-term potential. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, parrot a lot of what Scott just said then. Let's take a wider look at this business here. I mean, uh, very low margin, very capital intensive, highly competitive market, commodity style products, all kinds of things outside of its control, such as pulp prices, FX rates. And, and this is all reflected in the fundamentals of the business. When you pan out a little bit here, you've got a company whose per share earnings have halved over the last five years. Sales and profits both been on the decline over that same period of, of time. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of like, hooray, they got a bit of a boost for some panic buying this year, but in every other sort of aspect, things are just going in one direction. This is, yeah, Scott wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. I wouldn't touch it with a 20 foot pole. It's, it's uh, <laughs> if, I can, if I can be even more bearish. Um, it, it might have its bump. I've said this now, so expect prices to rise 20% in the coming months. But uh, I, would, if, I would dare say that anyone who's buying this today in three and five years' time is going to get a very poor return on their investment. All right, Josh, that could not be more clear. Origin Energy is the next stock uh, nominated by Terry. So, gents, uh, Origin Energy, look, there's lots to this business, isn't there? Had a September quarterly result at last week. APLNG, uh, the strongest realized LNG prices across the sector. Uh, if we talk about this company in terms of valuation, Andrew, I mean, it's it's relatively speaking pretty good. Am I correct? Yeah, like yeah, on on, on some basic metrics, it, it looks really cheap relative to others in the market, but probably for a good reason. I would say. I mean, again, a lot of the, uh, the commodity comments that Scott just made previously about toilet yeah. paper certainly applied to this area. This is a business that has woefully low return on equity for shareholders. You know, it's very rarely above six percent. Pokes its head above there every now and again. Earnings have been on the decline for ten years. Shares are down seventy percent over that ten-year period. Dividends are half of what they were five years ago. You know, it, it's it's sort of. There, there are some people who can do very well by buying very average companies on on just the cigar butt type approach. You know, it's it's not a very attractive company, but damn, it's cheap. And, and if I if I can get the right timing there, I do all right. I prefer to be an investor who has the wind at my back, where I don't have to be too fussy about valuations, but I know I've got an incredible company that's going to compound my wealth over many, many years. And this just does not fit the bill in any way, shape or form. So a pass, pass for me. Okay, total pass. Scott Phillips. Um, Energy Markets Division reported encouraging electricity and gas retail sales volume, but I've read some commentary that if we have a cooler summer with this El Nina, that that could be negative for Origin Energy. I mean, it really does seem to be at the mercy of so many different factors, not just commodities, but you know, when, when the weather is an impact, that's a big one to fight against. It really is. I mean, we say airlines are tough business to run. Try running an energy business. And I don't know, look, Origin gets some benefit from being diversified across the energy spectrum. I think that means there's always something going to be wrong at some point in time. Uh, and you know, whether it's weather, whether it's prices, 
Look, I'm actually in the same camp as Andrew. This is a really tough commodity space to be in. The retail business is tough. The the uh, generation and, and um, you know the, the kind of the energy parts as opposed to the retailing parts of the business super commoditized and at the vagaries of the market for global prices. Now that said, I'm not going to say it's a buy. I'm going to say avoid it. But it is worth looking at that chart right there and then thinking about where the oil price is right now and the opportunity for recovery if and when oil prices recover. So I'm not a cyclical investor, I'm not a trader, and neither is Andrew, so I'll echo those comments. But I do have to say, if you're if you're a betting person and we're in the middle of Melbourne Cup season, US presidential season, so let's put our betting hats on for a second. There's, not a, there's, there's a very decent chance that the price goes up when the oil price recovers. And I do think it's a, a when, not an if for the oil price. If history is any guide, and it tends to be, the oil price fluctuates. It's a really low point now, still in the, the high 30s, mid 30s uh, dollars a barrel. Now, of course, uh, Origin doesn't do uh, Oil, but it does gas, and the gas price is linked very, very closely to that. So, you know, I would, I would have half a half an eye on that. I think as as a speculative idea, I wouldn't be at all surprised to do better from here, maybe even meaningfully better from here. Um, now, of course, it'll go badly at some point. If I had to put it in the bottom drawer and walk away, I, I'm absolutely not sure that I'd end up with more than I started with. But if you were someone who was speculating and looking at that, the time to buy commodity businesses is exactly when the commodity price is at or near cyclical lows. Hard to argue oil isn't at that price now. So the odds are probably pretty good for the energy business for Origin. Again, though, because it's so diversified, you wouldn't want to lock it in. And it might get worse before it gets better, as you say, Nadine, with a, a potentially cooler, maybe even wetter summer coming up. Yeah, but you brought me back to the original point about valuation, Scott. So thank you very much. Okay, Abacus Property is next on the list. So this is an interesting one. It is in a storage and it's also in commercial, but it does not have a very big exposure to retail. I think um, rent collection for the fourth quarter was 90% office, 98% for storage and 49% for retail, but retail again, only representing about 6% of assets. The ticker code is ABP. This one, Scott, is for Jess. What do you think? Jess, it's a really good question. The uh, Look, the, the, the current share price is about 15 times earnings, which is probably fair-ish for a REIT. I've got a, I, so I, the storage business I like a lot. I think that's a really big area. It's probably a growth area. That's not going to be massive growth. You're not going to get tech growth out of it. But, you know, we, we like to hoard as humans. We like to hoard more and more stuff. And frankly, we're all buying more and more stuff. So the chance that storage has secular growth is pretty strong. If you look at the retail business, I think that's probably a reasonably ordinary business to do, but as you say, not a big share of earnings. Now, that being said, any decline there will drag the rest of the business down and a small fall in revenue can be a big fall in earnings and can be sustained. So be mindful of that. Yes, it's a small component part. Uh, we know retailers, by the way, go broke when their sales turn just slightly negative, really regularly because these things have massive operating leverage and the same is true of a property trust. So be a little bit careful there. It's small, absolutely. But if it remains low for any length of time, and frankly, if they start making losses in that portfolio, that can hurt. The the office one is the one I'm most concerned about, or most mindful of probably, not more concerned, I'm more concerned about retail, but I'm most mindful of office because we're yet to see how the coronavirus and the change in work patterns plays out. Westpac uh, only recently decided to downsize its Barangaroo office, where you guys are, um, basically as a result, a, a direct result effectively, of the changes to, to human work patterns, the way how the places we're working that is changing how people use office space. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a slow grinding decline in the office market for the next sort of five or 10 years. Now again, I don't necessarily do predictions, but if you think about the risks there, as more and more of us, yeah, offices are vacant in many capital cities around the country. Yes, we start going back there. Yes, more and more people start to work back there. But if you don't get back to normal, Next time any company chooses to renegotiate its lease, maybe it's going for smaller office space, maybe it's cheaper, maybe it's further out of town, maybe it does away with it altogether and goes co-working or, or a, a surf corp type solution. So 
I am really concerned that you may have a slow growing decline in that and that's going to make it really really hard for Abacus if I'm right to grow earnings meaningfully over time I expect then if I'm right it's a market lagger and so I'd be selling Abacus if I owned it Okay, uh, what do you think of Abacus property? I'm going to agree with Scott again. I mean, this. Did you guys ever disagree with? Oh, we have plenty. We disagree plenty. Um, uh, no, a lot don't. of things. Uh, Scott, Scott's just not right all the time, and I am. So that's that's unfortunate. But um, it's a burden. <laughs> but yeah, self storage is a really great area. I think I think there's a very long structural sort of tailwind there. But half of your money is in in office sort of space. I'm, I won't repeat it because Scott's summed it up so well. Even prior to this, I mean, earnings at the same level they were ten years ago. Um, dividends have been growing very slowly, about one and a half percent on a compound annual basis over that period. So, but it has been a very reliable payer. I mean, everyone who's, who's held dividends, uh, who's held shares over that time, has gotten some some very reliable yeah. dividends, and that's at about six percent. And again, in a low interest rate world, you think, well, maybe anything comes, you're focused. Yes, maybe again. But um, for all of those reasons that Scott mentioned, it's it's an avoid for me. There's just simply better investments out there. Okay. That's your answer. Let's get to a question that's been posed by Bob. Bob is asking about people infrastructure. PPE is the ticker code. So I had to look this one up, but it is in people management, uh, human resources, particularly in recruitment for the health and um, nursing space, I believe, or yeah. you know, personal care space, which just on face value seems, Andrew, like that would be a real hot area to be in right now. Yeah, definitely. And IT, they also do a okay. bit of uh, HR for IT. And and this is a business that hasn't been listed for that long, but uh, looking at their prospectus, they've had some pretty good growth, about 20% um, compound annual growth in earnings over the last five years. Um, acquisitions are a big part of that. Acquisitions don't always work out well. In fact, statistically, they they don't work mm-hmm. out more often than they do. Um, uh, but they seem to have, 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 have done that fairly well so far. Um, uh, what can you say? Generally, I'm not a fan of services businesses. You know, you've often got to replace all the work that you win. It, it is a very tough grind. Things can go very well for you um, when, when there's a lot of work, but then things can turn very quickly. But credit where it's due, only listed for a couple of years. Shares have doubled in that time. They've had some really good results in that period. There's a really high level of inside ownership there. So um, uh, management and, uh, and and board members, etc., all tally that up. That's close to a fifth of the business that they own in in shares. Um, they did take. They do have some exposure to things like childcare, which took a bit of a hit, and also pubs and, mm-hmm. and hospitality workers, which took a bit of a hit. That is the smaller part of their business. But overall, I, I think it, it actually looks pretty interesting. And, and on a price to earnings basis, and I should qualify this as an adjusted earnings basis where some amortization costs are taken out, which let's not go down that rabbit hole, but it seems reasonably priced at 16, uh, PE of 16 for a business that is growing as it, as it is and is proven to be um, much more resilient than perhaps you might initially expect, given what we've seen in the world and the economy lately. Yep. So um, uh, the it, it is it is of interest. I would need to do a lot more due diligence on it, though. So I, I might put it as a watch. If yeah, I, can I was going to say, maybe one for the watch list. Oh, that's fair enough. Yep. We'll, um, we'll invent that category. Cool. Let's go to Scott Phillips. He's from The Motley Fool, joining us via Skype. So people infrastructure, you've heard all of what Andrew had to say. Scott, what would a potential catalyst for further growth for this company be? Where would that likely or possibly come from? Yeah, I actually take a slightly different view to Andrew, just to, just to disagree, no, not to disagree, but I'm glad he said watch this because I'm gonna go a buy on this one. Um, I, I think the growth is already the entity and there are some really structural uh, factors coming to play. The tailwinds that are driving that 20% compound growth, I think remain in place. 
And as Andrew said, with a PE that's kind of mid-teens to 20, depending on how you adjust it, um, it, it's a pretty attractive combination. If you could buy a business that can grow at some meaningful double-digit rate for any meaningful period of time, 20 times earnings is not expensive, particularly in this current market where rates are low and the average PE is pretty high. So uh, looking at the business, I think you're going to see more staff required, more outsourced staff. We know the gig economy is taking off. This isn't pure gig economy, but it is the temp worker space. And a lot of the services it provides are to some degree, while they are, as Andrew said, services business that I also don't love them, generally speaking, a lot of that is is kind of recurring revenue stuff. So the systems, the processes, the outsourced requirement and delivery of staff Unless nursing homes, unless pubs, unless childcare centres close down for long periods of time, and of course they can for short periods as we've seen. But as long as the long-term story remains strong, we're all going to go back to the pub, we're all going to send kids back to childcare. More and more of us are going to go into nursing homes as the population ages. And this is a really good business, not, not the world's best business, as Andrew says, um, but at, at somewhere around you know 15 to 20 times earnings for a business growing in the bottom line at that sort of rate, even if it is a bit lumpy in the next year or so as we get back to normal, um, it is a business that's shown itself able to find new ways of delivering more services to more customers. And if you can do that reliably, that's a really nice basis for an investment. Okay, wonderful. Um, it is past the halfway mark, actually. So time for me to do a little bit of a sum up of what we've gone through so far. I've got my trusty papers here. Uh, let's start with the stock of the day, Push Pay. Uh, one swallow does not make a summer. Coming from Andrew Page in terms of the share price fall that we've seen today off the back of some uncertainty as to the future direction and that lack of new customer growth in the past few months. It's a hold for him, but it's not really a company that uh, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool would be putting his money into because there's still many questions about where it goes from here. That takes us to Harvey Norman, the first of our viewer picks coming from Tim. Andrew says it's had an incredible year. Uh, over the long term, dividends have more than doubled, so the yield looking pretty good. However, uh, not really one that you'd be putting in your portfolio, given there's a lot of questions about its ability to negotiate from bricks and mortar to online. When it comes to Scott Phillips, he's more of a fan of Jerry Harvey than perhaps Andrew Page is. Mm -hmm. Credit where credit is due to the founder, relatively good value. In fact, he says right now it's looking pretty cheap. That would actually, if he had the capital to deploy, it's not a buy in terms of Motley Fool, but he says it's not a bad company to buy, Tim. Asalio Care, Josh, this one's for you. Andrew says he wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. 20-foot Oh, pole. sorry, 20-foot Let, pole. That's yeah. even bigger. Okay. Uh, Scott Phillips said he wouldn't go near it, so there's no need to go on about Asalio Care. Just too many headwinds at the mercy of too many cost inputs and the fact that nobody's looking to buy the most expensive toilet paper on the shelf, are they? Even if we are scrounging. Origin Energy coming from Terry. Uh, Scott Phillips says, look, try running an energy company at uh, the best of times. It's just a tough space to be in, in oil, in retail. Uh, it's an avoid. But in terms of valuation, you want to buy these types of companies when the commodities are you know, at their worst. And so if you were a specy type investor, this is a speculative buy based on the fact that the oil price pretty much can't get any lower from here, we don't think. Andrew says, look, it's relatively cheap, but for good reasons, this is a pass from Andrew Page from Strawman. Now, Abacus Property Group from Jess sounds like it's in the right spot when it comes to Storage King and storage, but it is too risky. We want to see how the pandemic plays out, particularly when it comes to office so for Scott Phillips, that's a no, it's an avoid for the same reasons pretty much from Andrew Page. Um, that takes us to people infrastructure. This is our first 
you know, hard clear buy of, I think, this, this session, and that is from Scott Phillips. He says there's growth there. There are structural factors at play. The company's proved itself to be able to to evolve and to find opportunities, new opportunities, I could say. Andrew says it's got good growth, made some acquisitions, credit where credit is due, but um, it's interesting. He just really needs to do a lot more due diligence, but it's now on his watch list. So thanks for that question coming in from Bob. Now, as you all know, we've got our own portfolio here that we're running uh, when it comes to uh, the call. So just take a look at some of the stocks that we've added recently. We've added Appin, uh, we've added uh, a few ETFs, but over the week, we've got a return of 3.36%, and that's to the negative. You can see that in red. One month return, though, up by more than 5%, and in the full year to date, so that is from July 1st, up by about 12%. So yeah, we've got a couple ETFs in there now. We've got um, a property securities index as well. Uh, and so what it takes for companies to be added is two buys from our guests to be taken out like Goodman Group and Integral Diagnostics, you need two of the guys to agree that it's a sell. Of course, you can always take a look at that portfolio. You just have to head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we'll continue to keep you updated on that. We're in the second half of the program. Let's crack on with it, gents, shall we? The, uh, the next company on our list is Sigma Healthcare. This one's coming in from Natalie. Andrew, you're sitting right beside me. Mm -hmm. Let's go to you first. Uh, the last update coming from the company was pretty, pretty positive. Above market growth in retail, diminished regulatory headwinds, mm -hmm. uh, growing like for like sales by about nine and a half percent. At no specific guidance provided though. Is that the bugbear? Um, no, for me, it's, it's again, it's, it's just that question of sort of panning out and, and having a wider look here. And, and, and this is a business that has really struggled for a long time. I mean, last year's results were awful. Even prior to that, they're sort of flat and really ailing for, for quite a bit of time. I would argue they underinvested in a lot of key um, infrastructure for a long time. Uh, key competitor, there's API, um, Priceline Pharmacies, mm -hmm. are just really executing phenomenally well. They lost the chemist warehouse contract, I think, and then they won it again. There was one of their senior people, if not the most senior people, is a bit of embroiled in an insider trading um, uh, debacle, maybe is the best word for it. Um, uh, so this is a turnaround play. You know, you're looking at, at shares down 60% in the last few years, really not that far off a nine-year low. If you pan that chart out even further, it's pretty much where it was, I want to say, back in 2011 or so. So um, yeah, it's, it's good to see some green shoots in the most recent results. And they've been saying that this new deal with Chemist Warehouse is more likely to, to uh, help the current year. Also sold off some of their property assets. Yes, that's well. true. And then leased them back again. Yeah. So strengthen the balance sheet a little bit, mm -hmm. which is nice. They're going through one of these uh, ERP integrations, which is like a spinal transplant. They never go smoothly. So, and that happened with API, in fact, as well. So that, that's always something that's a bit of a challenge, but probably good longer term. But I sort of take all of that together and I just sort of think, nah, maybe I wish them well. Too His, hard basket, history, it, and There's nothing wrong with that. Most stocks for me go on the too hard basket. <laughs> <laughs> we like the honesty. Hey, how about you, Scott Phillips at The Motley Fool, Sigma Healthcare? I mean, it is a tough business, low margins as well. Yeah, you've, you've nailed it. Andrew's nailed it as well. Look, that chart shows you what can happen when things go right, though. That five-year chart we just had up on the screen. And the chemist warehouse business is wor business worth having. The problem, unfortunately, is the whip hand is with the retailer, in this case, not the wholesaler. They go cap in hand and try desperately to win some volume. And when it comes through, that's great. 
And then next time the contract comes around, they still want to make some money. The competitors are a bit hungrier. They come and steal it back. That tends to be the way this thing has gone. The, the, here's the real problem. There are three major pharmaceutical wholesale groups in the country. There are, I don't know how many, tens and tens of pharmaceutical wholesale uh, warehouses because the government has a what they call community service obligation to get some money from the government. You must be able to get a, a prescription drug to, I think it's any pharmacy in the country, within 24 hours. Now, that's wonderful for healthcare, wonderful for patients. It's terrible business because it means all, just about every one of those warehouses is subscale. There's just too much competition for a small population and a very dispersed population. That makes it a really, really tough business to do well. So even in the best times, this is an average business. In the worst times, it's a terrible business. Now, the price being where it is, again, a little bit like you know the kind of origin story. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a bounce back just almost on law of averages, which I know is a, a strange thing for an investor to say, but it's so low now that a couple of good results with the chemist warehouse volumes and I wouldn't be at all surprised to the share price respond. If it does, I think investors will be getting it wrong. By the way, I think they'll be looking at the short term saying, great, everything's going well again until it doesn't. And that's been the the experience with API, with Sigma and others. Uh, it goes well till it doesn't, and then it goes badly till it doesn't. And that's that's the story. So if you wanted to have a punt, maybe you might look at this one. I wouldn't, but you, I guess you could. Um, it may well do well in the short term if those volumes start to translate to profits, but there's not enough volume to go around and it will lose that volume. We'll have to accept a much lower margin at some point for that volume. So the story is probably the best of Sigma's short-term future, medium-term future, is probably in the next six months, and it probably gets worse from there. I'd be staying well away from Sigma. Ooh, Sigma not getting a vote of uh, confidence from either one of our guests. Let's move on to Imricor Medical System, IMR, coming from William. William, I hope you're listening to this one. Look, I had to look it up. I know I've talked about this on the call before. It's in the heart medical systems area. Andrew, over to you. Oh, th thanks for that hot potato. <laughs> um, yeah, I've not, never heard of it before too. I got, I think, in the first couple of lines of the company description and, and threw my hands up. It sounds fascinating, doesn't it? And it's super sexy. You've got, um, it's, I, I believe it's something to do with sort of guiding instruments using MRI uh, imaging technology. Look, we're not too proud to say that some people are smarter than us in uh, other areas. Yeah. You know, we need people with these ideas. They have, they, you know, I'm so glad that we have companies out there developing these technologies, but history would tell you that you know, on a statistical basis, most of them don't do well for investors because it is an incredibly hard slog to develop this technology. Even when you do develop it successfully, which is a minority of cases, you've got to then successfully commercialize that technology. And in doing that, there's a bunch of hurdles to get through. I, I believe that uh, Imricor does not have FDA or TGA approval at this present time. They are in Europe, as I understand it. They uh, have a product and they are making sales, but they are bleeding cash. They've got about 7 million uh, US on the balance sheet. Uh, last quarter, they went through about 3.5 million. Um, and so that suggests to me that, uh, again, <laughs> you need to do a lot of work on these kinds of things, but it would probably be a long time before they're, they're profitable. In that, in that intervening period, there's probably going to be a lot of capital raises. There's a lot of very important hurdles to pass, which maybe they will and maybe they won't. So when, as an investor, if you're looking at this, even if you're right, expect huge amounts of volatility, expect to get your wallet or purse out at multiple times over the journey, um, and expect that in probably 95% of instances, you're not going to do well. But these kinds of companies, I'm not having a go at William here whatsoever, but just as more of a general statement, a lot of people get very excited in them because it seems high tech, it's super sexy, um, the share price is going up, There's probably a bunch of forums out there on Facebook or whatever, people sort of saying this is going to the moon and, and that's why people buy it. 
Um, but for me, that is, that is pure speculation and um, it's just way too early for me. Hey, but Scott, if you don't take advantage of some of these early ideas, these early innovative um, companies, don't you risk just missing out on a whole lot of, of capital growth? Yes, absolutely you do. You also, though, run the risk of missing a whole lot of capital loss. And, and that's that's probably a risk worth taking. Uh, I think there's a, look, there's a time and a place, right? You don't have to be on the bleeding edge to take advantage of some of these companies. Look at a business like Nanasonics, for example. Um, it was a tiddler for a very long time, back as long ago when Andrew and I worked together. Uh, and, and it was one of those companies that you, you just kept an eye on. And I think Imrecore, to me, really cool sort of tech. And as Andrew said, we hope these businesses are successful because it improves health outcomes for everybody. And that's just awesome. So the more of these guys do well, the better for, for frankly, society, let alone investors. You have plenty of time, though, to get this one right. There's no shame in missing the first double or the second double. Look at the likes of Cochlear or CSL or ResMed. If you'd missed the first double and the next, next double and the next double, you're probably still up 10 or 20 fold. Yeah. And remember, of course, we remember the ones that make it. We know CSL, we know Cochlear, we know ResMed, we know Nanosonics. We don't know the dozens of companies that don't make it because they never quite enter the consciousness yeah. and they disappear again. And I think the example is probably, it's a flipping example, but it's kind of true, right? Just because someone wins Lotto doesn't mean your odds of winning are very good. And, and you know, the, the idea don't. of like, well, that person won Lotto. If I don't play, I can't win. It's like, yeah, but if you don't play, you won't lose either. And, and the odds aren't great. Okay, let's get quickly to our next company on the list, AMP, because there's only so much I think that we can say. Richard has written in about this one, clearly with um, a potential takeover on the table, uh, potential talk of others entering the fray. You know, ding, 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 do you buy now in hopes that, uh, you know, you're going to get a bit of a payout, however that may end up in the near future, Andrew? Not me. Um, again, it's, it's speculation. It's not investing. Investing is um, about trying to identify a company that's going to spew out lots and lots of cash for many, many years and paying a price that is sensible relative to that expectation. This is buying a share on the expectation. It's a, it's a Keynesian beauty contest. You know, someone else is going to come and say, actually, I think it's worth this or I think it's worth that and that you're, you're going to get a little bit of a bump there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and good luck to you. It, and some people love that. It, I don't. Um, and you know, I look at AMP as a company, I find it very difficult to find another quote unquote blue chip stock that, that stinks more than this one and has destroyed more shareholder capital over Can a longer read? period of time. If, I, if I'm you know, putting it lightly. <laughs> All right, let's see if Scott has anything more favorable to say about AMP. This is an Australian icon. Can't it uh, rise from the, from the ashes? Nadine, the, the sequential AMP management that have destroyed this business should hang their heads in collective shame, if I can be, be more blunt yeah, than Andrew. Yeah. When, when, when Andrew and I were kids, AMP was the only national name in finance. It had the, the opportunity to be the Australian financial company in a way that no one else did. Commonwealth Bank was kind of national. Westpac was the state bank of New South yeah. Wales. I'm going to interrupt um, just in the interest of time, Scott. Sorry, but uh, if you think that maybe a, a Macquarie could take AMP over, couldn't it bring it back to its former glory or hive off all of the, the different sort of bank and capital and then, and then shareholders, if you bought in now, might, might be rewarded? Yeah, look, it, it could, but the question is, does it want to and does it see the opportunity there, particularly with another bidder who's already going to pay $1.85 for something that's currently trading $1.65? Do you really want to get into bidding war for AMP, given the financial services and the, the fund management financial advice issues? Too hot for me. I, I mean, someone's going to want to do it. There's always a buyer for an asset. Uh, if I was Macquarie and I was on the, on the board, I'd be saying, guys, there's got to be a dozen better ideas than this one. The problem with, the problem with buying a takeover in hopes that it gets yeah. higher is it's a, a pennies in front of steamrollers problem. You might win a little bit every now and again, maybe even a little bit often, 
but the big losers, when the takeover doesn't happen, the shares go back to $1.40 or $1.30, um, that's going to wipe out the gains you might make a dozen other times with trying to get that extra little bit of takeover premium. Okay, Richard, no on that one. Uh, I'm going to have to whip us through these ones. I'm getting the big um, wrap it up from our producer, but Novanix, NVX coming from AJ. This one, guys, I don't know if I should tell you or not, but it's already in the portfolio. So would you be buying, Andrew, Novanix? Um, well, a bit of shameless why? plug here of the Strongman Classic show last week. We had Canadian investors, one of our top um, can, uh, Sorry, Canadian members. investors, did you say? Canadian <laughs> investor is the username. Of, uh, Trevor is his real name. And, and uh, you go to strongman.com slash classic and you can see the full interview. It's his number one pick. He's done very well out of it. But there's a lot of research and due diligence that's gone on that. This is a battery material supplier. They've got some really cool testing technology. He will be the first to tell you that it is very early stage and a bit of speculative. There is a speculative dimension to it. It is burning through cash. It is making a loss. But um, they seem very well placed for a long-term structural tailwind and some really cool competitive tech. So on, on the basis of what uh, Trev reckons, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back him and say bye. Bye. All right, Scott. Uh, a lot hanging on this one. Novanix, what do you know and would you be putting money into it if you had uh, money to do so? I can't believe Andrew mentioned the Strawman Classic. I'm not going to mention the Strawman Classic and give the Strawman Classic an easy plug. Um, Nadine, I'm not going to buy this one. I'm, I'm, I'm a sell. Uh, lithium is a great concept. We will use much, much more lithium in the, in the days, weeks, months, and years, decades ahead. I'm not convinced at all that we know yet who the winners are going to be, much less what the average price are going to be in the economics of the businesses involved in mining production uh, of both the, you know, the, the lithium batteries, the cars themselves, of course, and Tesla's the big story. Um, this is one I'd, I'd say well and truly away from, unless you want a pure punt. Maybe it does well, maybe it doesn't. There was, there was 115 car companies in the 1910s. Uh, Ford and GM came out of it. The rest kind of fell by the wayside. Way too early to be putting serious money into lithium just yet. Okay, Scott Phillips there weighing in on Novanix NVX. Oh, geez, Orica. Orica is on the list. This one's coming from Liam. We don't want to give you short shift. Look, Orica has been a troubled business. It's not been treated kindly by the pandemic. But, but, City for one says that uh, miners' volumes will normalize in 2021 and that uh, days are looking brighter. We've got a full year result coming on November the 20th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, context matters. These, these guys have been around since 1874. I looked it up, I knew it was a long time, but wow, I didn't expect it to be that long. They are the largest global su commercial supplier of explosive. Huge business, big business, been around forever. They've also done nothing for shareholders, I would say, for a very, very long time as well. Shares have gone pretty much no back to where they were 10 years ago. They're down about, uh, sorry, flat over the last five years, down about 40% over the past 10 years. Uh, you know, there's just better better fish out there in the sea. And, and, and you, as an investor, why compromise on, on very mediocre things? Yeah, hold, uh, hold true to your investment mm -hmm. thesis, Scott. Um, Orica, as I mentioned, it's been, um, you know, difficult. Headwinds likely to persist for at least the first half of FY21. What are the redeeming qualities, if anything, about Orica? Yeah, long-term recovery. Well, medium-term recovery is actually probably the better way to say it. I completely agree with Andrew. This has been a relatively ordinary business. But if you look at the success of the business on its financials or its share price, it has had really bright moments in the sun. If you're going to create a basket of cyclical companies at lows that are likely over time to do better, I would absolutely whack Orica in that list. Now, I'm not saying it's a buy. I wouldn't buy it right now. But if you said to me, Greg, give me 10 companies, I'd probably, by the way, throw Origin in there as well from today's conversation. Um, and say, so, look, you know, you grab a couple of oil drillers who are, you know, where the oil price is cheap. You grab Orica while 
uh, mining activity is low. Um, I would be very, very surprised if, if that basket didn't outperform the market meaningfully. Now, that could mean one out of five, two out of five, three out of five do well. So again, on a company by company basis, the odds and the risks are much, much higher than buying a basket. So I wouldn't buy Orica right now. But as I said, if you if you threw together a basket of 10 kind of cyclical companies trading at, at, at decent lows for different reasons, I think it's a very good chance the basket itself will do really, really well. Okay, well, let's uh, wrap up the past five stocks that we have been discussing uh, with the views coming from Andrew Page from strawman.com and uh, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Of course, we know um, you've been hanging out to hear what they've had to say about Sigma. This one is a question for Natalie. Uh, look, Andrew just says, um, if you take a wider look, it's been struggling for a long time. It's just in the too hard basket, really, for Sigma. And Scott agrees it's a volume game in a country without a big population, it will always come down to margins in that competitive landscape. Imricor Medical Systems, IMR, it's a hard slog, Andrew says, to develop this technology. You will likely have to open your wallet from here on in, at least for the foreseeable future. It's a no from him. Uh, look, everybody's happy that there are those out there that are taking the risk to develop technologies, especially when it comes to healthcare, but you just don't need to be in it right now according to Scott Phillips. Keep an eye on it. If it interests you, you don't have to be on the bleeding edge of this type of technology. Now, AMP, it's just a no. I mean, you could feel Scott's passion for AMP of old, but he <laughs> says that uh, all the management that has brought us to this point should hang their head in shame. Um, don't bet on an outcome that's going to be positive for shareholders. And yeah, that's just a very difficult one for Andrew, who actually went so far as to say that it, it stinks. So Novadix is one. <laughs> Uh, we won't mention the competition. Actually, we will because we're supporters here at Osby's, the Strawman <laughs> Classic. Uh, this is a specky buy, but uh, yeah, he's going to take advice of um, some of those contestants and put it on the buy list. That's a buy from mm -hmm. Andrew. It is a nope. It is a sell from Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Uh, he just says, look, maybe it does well, maybe it doesn't. Uh, the use case will come, but just too early. And because Novanix was in the portfolio and Scott said no, it's now out. So there you go. That's an update coming from this edition of the call. And that's why you keep watching uh, Orica. Orica for Liam. Look, context matters again, coming from Andrew Page, largest global supplier. Oh, you know, best in class in some ways, but it's really done nothing for shareholders. There's better fish in the sea. A same thing from Scott Phillips. Look, it's a medium-term recovery story, perhaps in the same basket as Origin Energy. Buy these things when they're depressed, but you know he'd be looking more toward a basket of some of these beaten down cyclicals rather than putting a bunch of money into one name in particular. I hope, guys, I've done that justice. I'd like to say a huge thanks to our guest host here in studio, Andrew Page from strawman.com, and also Scott Phillips friend of ours from Motley Fool. It's been a lot of fun, guys. A um, little bit distracted on my part when it comes to some of the news coming in from the US election. Uh, look, we'll have plenty of analysis after this very short break. Uh, you can check out the call portfolio at osbiz.co backslash join. But uh, yeah, it looks like Donald Trump has won the state of Arkansas. Uh, we've got uh, still NASDAQ futures looking pretty good, S&P futures flat. It's all happening. We'll bring you analysis to the minute after this very short break. Thanks for joining us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.